Dr. John White is the Chief Medical Officer of WebMD and is also a well-established author. He has written books that give practical advice on how to take control of your heart disease risk, diabetes risk, and specifically what we're here to talk about today, cancer risk. Cancer is something that unfortunately most of us are impacted by, myself included, yet our knowledge is relatively sparse. In episode number 53 of the Better With Brock podcast, you can expect to learn how to manage your own personal cancer risk through the food that you consume on a day-to-day basis, the physical activity that you participate in and what intensity it should be at, and the impact sleep and chronic stress has on the cells in your body. Dr. John White, welcome to the podcast. How did everything start for you? What got you interested in writing this book on how to control your cancer risk? Yeah, well, really what I've been struck by is that, you know, we see cancer still a significant cause of death around the world, despite all these amazing advances that we seem to have. So I really wanted to help explain to people what they could do to reduce the risk. Because I'll tell you, Brock, a lot of people think it's all genetics, right? So if I don't know someone in my family that had cancer, I don't have to worry about it. And that's not true. But there's really a, a good amount of things that you can do on a daily basis that can reduce your risk. Yeah, and that's what I really want to unpack. And I've heard you say on mm-hmm. other interviews and podcasts that your genetics is around about give or take 20% of the risk mm-hmm. and and the rest is in your hands and you can control to some, you know, to varying degrees. But I think that story in itself is impactful because, you know, I, I, I guess I'm very interested in this topic and I mentioned this to you as well. I lost my mother to cancer when mm-hmm. I was very young and as I grow older and now as a father, it kind of puts things in the back of my mind, what's the chance of this? What's the chance of that? You know, how, how long do I have left? Have I passed Mm -hmm. on anything to, to my daughter? There's all of these questions. So to actually know that majority of the work is coming down to me, that's very empowering. And, And I believe other people that have experiences where I'm not sure it may be an experience like mine, where it's in the family or a friend or even their own journey. I actually just heard uh, yesterday from a friend that I was working out with, a friend of ours that was a personal trainer. She's just recently, you know, found out that she has cancer as well. And it it just kind of pops out of nowhere. And it's, it's very frightening, but to, to know that we can make a difference is really, really impactful. And, you know, you've talked about previously before the importance of sleep, the importance of nutrition, the importance of, of exercise and lifestyle, and the importance of looking after your mental health. And I just want to kind of unpack each pillar sure. as we kind of move through, beginning with nutrition because we eat every single day. And mm-hmm. I like to look at from a fat loss, body composition, personal training perspective, what I say to my clients is every meal is an opportunity to move towards your goals or further away from your goals. Yeah. And, and sorry, you go. No, no. So really, what I try to get people to think about is food is medicine. It's really as powerful as a prescription drug. And when you start to think about it that way, 
it really helps you make that decision. Should I have a bag of potato chips or should I have an orange? And a lot of times people think, uh, like, you know, how can food cause cancer? You know, part of it is when we eat unhealthy, we gain weight. And we know the role of being overweight with your risk of cancer. It's a complicated process that really revolves around inflammation and immune response. And if you're not eating healthy, you're not going to get those important vitamins and minerals. If you're eating all the processed foods, the, the salamis, the pastrami's, all of these things that are filled you know, with nitrates and, and other aspects that, that make it tasty are not inherently healthy. And when you think about how do they make all these processed foods, they're, they're stripping away, you know, all the healthy aspects. And it's never one daily choice that's going to increase your risk. But what I tell people is it's your choices that are made on a daily basis over time that impact your risk. Yeah, a quote that I like that hints towards that idea is one hot day doesn't make a summer. Mm-hmm. a entire string of hot days makes the summer and you know that's the power of consistency working for you or consistency with bad habits working against you right with the balance of because there's no person in the world really that is just going to drop everything on the weekend just going to continue mm-hmm. to eat no sugar and you know not overeat and just completely eliminate alcohol There are some people like that, but for a lot of people, there still needs to be some moderation and some balance. How can people balance that with keeping their cancer prevention in mind? Part of it includes doing an accurate assessment yourself. What I find is, you know, people will always say to me, oh, Dr. White, I eat healthy, you know, I eat salads or, you know, I I try to eat a healthy breakfast, but they're significantly overweight. And diet, what we eat, plays a big role. I often ask people to do a food journal just for a week. And I tell them to ignore the first two days because they're trying to behave that day and and don't (laughs) want to put in bad things. And then I say, you have to write down everything that you put in your mouth. And then you find out there's a lot of snacks, there's a lot of treats. And I said to a patient the other day, I said, that doesn't mean that you can never have ice cream, but you just can't have it every day. She's like, oh, I don't have it every day. And I said, well, how often do you have it? She's like, "Mm, probably every other day. Well, that's probably too much when you're overweight. You know, here in the United States, only about 25% of people eat fish one day a week. The rest don't eat fish at all. I mean, it's staggering the number of people that go to fast food restaurants every day. So that's the problem that we're having, Brock. There's not an accurate assessment of what you yourself are doing. And then there's this sense, um, I don't want to deny myself anything. That That's too hard to do, that I can never have potato chips, or I can never have ice cream, or I can never have a piece of cake. That's not what we're saying. We're saying you can't have it most days of the week. I want you to have more healthy days than unhealthy days in terms of what you eat. But most people aren't like that. Yeah, I think that fish consumption statistic is down to you know when you bring up fast foods there's not many 
restaurants, fast food restaurants where you mm-hmm. can get quick and convenient food because so many people are time poor these days, especially, you know, when you throw kids into the mix, as mm-hmm. I'm experiencing, it just kind of gets, mm-hmm. you know, everything's so compressed. But yeah, there's not many fish options. And even though that's only one pillar of nutrition, it's still right. something that can help contribute uh, to to better health. So with nutrition, eating a healthy diet is what a lot of people will say, personal trainers will say it, physicians will say it, doctors will say it. Can you give some practical advice of kind of what that can look like? Because some people just say, oh yeah, I'm eating healthy. And then they're eating, mm-hmm. you know, granola bars and, yeah. uh, you know, all this kind of stuff that we know that is probably better than eating a chocolate bar, but there could be other better options too. So how can we kind of guide them in the right mm-hmm. direction? And there's a lot of misinformation out there. They don't realize that, you know, how they bind the granola together is is a molasses or a sugar. Um, So I do ask people to look at food labels. Not that they have to study labels or you may know how many carbs you had yesterday. I couldn't tell you that. But what I can do and ask patients to do, when you're looking at different yogurts, when one yogurt has 20 grams of sugar because it's... Um, you know, French vanilla flavoring, and one has six, or one has 15 grams of protein, and one has two, you know what the better choice is by just comparing. And what I often tell people is, it's as important what you include, as well as what you exclude. So you have to look at both. So you have to say, I'm going to reduce my consumption of red meat. We know that the studies have consistently shown an association between red meat and cancer, particularly colon cancer. Again, doesn't mean you can never have red meat, but how do you reduce it to maybe once or twice a week? How do you replace one hamburger or hot dog or sandwich with, as we just talked about, fish? Loaded with powerful antioxidants, which we know reduces cancer risk, as well as lower in calories. So automatically, you're going to lose weight. How do you have more fruits and vegetables? Here in the United States, most people do not eat fruit on a daily basis. So how can you figure out a way to consume it? At least one meal with one meal, maybe it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner. It'd be better if you had it, you know, two of them, but I'd settle for at least one. How do you have more, you know, whole wheat and low-fat dairy? Those are the things that you want to include on a daily basis. And then you want to exclude, you know, the processed foods, the saturated fats. What I say to people, all those sugary drinks, right? We consume so many calories by what we drink and we don't even think about it. You should replace everything with basically water and coffee is good. And we can come back to (laughs) To that, as long as it's not like the, the frappuccinos. Um, but those are some of the changes that you want to make. And what I always say to patients, Brock, is I'm not as concerned as where you are next week or three weeks from now. I'm concerned where you are two years from now, five years from now. Because if you keep doing what you're doing, it's going to catch up to you over time. 
And there's so many choices out there. You have to find what you enjoy. And too often people will say to me, oh, Dr. White, I don't like fish. Oh, Dr. White, I don't like beans. I had a patient say to me, I don't like water. And I knew what she meant. <laughs> she liked the flavor of it. But, but the point was, you have a young child now. When they get older, you're not going to say, oh, you can't. You can't you know, if they say they don't like it, you're going to tell them to keep trying it. You're going to find different ways to enjoy it. So there are ways uh, to do that for yourself, just as you would uh, for your children. Yeah, personally, I put frozen kale and frozen spinach into smoothies yeah. because I, I, I know that, I that. I've, I fall into a category of a person that doesn't really thoroughly love vegetables. Mm-hmm. I, I like roast potatoes, roast sweet potato, roast pumpkin, that kind of stuff. Most people can get yeah. on board with that, but to sit down and eat a bowl of broccoli or you know eat the broccoli yeah. on the side, I'm just kind of not a big fan of that. But then there are ways like putting them in a smoothie. I love the that, frozen idea because yeah, then it doesn't actually, go to waste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and you know, that's why I also love smoothies and okay, I may be sacrificing a bit of the fiber because mm-hmm. I'm because I'm blending it all up, but at least I'm still getting a ton of things that I probably wouldn't really sure. eat if I'm not having a smoothie. So I find that that has been a big win for me. Um, would you say that with nutrition, so a, a, a lot of the things that you're talking about, mm-hmm. my personal training brain and my nutrition brain is going, well, ultimately what we're doing here is looking for foods that are nutrient dense, um, probably less hyper palatable, still tasty, but not yeah. extremely tasty that your brain's like, I need more, I need more, I need more, mm-hmm. which leads to overeating. So would you say that the nutrition advice would be, I guess, mainly reducing calories because that has an impact on, on their waistline and then yeah. having, and then being at a healthier weight is better for uh, mm-hmm. cancer risk than just the foods alone? We definitely have to be at a healthier weight. And we're going to talk about activity and exercise, but I'll tell you, most of our weight is dictated by what we eat. Exercise has enormous health benefits, but you're going to lose weight by changing what you eat. And we used to think a calorie is a calorie, um, whether it's from fat or it's from you know carbohydrates, but that's not quite true because we know that some foods are healthier than others. So it is about calories in but also combined with calories out. But again, it's that what you include as well as what you exclude. So you can't say, I'm going to eat kale, I'm going to eat broccoli, and then I'm going to have chocolate bars at night as a dessert because they're going to zero each other out. What I really focus on with patients are are finding those foods that they enjoy. As you said, those nutrient-dense foods because that's going to make them feel full. That's going to release something called leptin and ghrelin, which is going to help you feel satisfied so you won't overeat. But you still have to have a plate that is full of nutrients, that is full of antioxidants, that's going to make you feel good and live longer. None of us really feel good after a a high-carbohydrate uh, you know, dinner or something with a lot of sugar. You have to have that balance, particularly as you know, protein uh, and fiber. Yeah, fiber is a big one that I've been thinking about lately, and also kind of changing my mind in terms of what I recommend to clients. And I'm not a doctor by any means, but I I do look at a lot of mm-hmm. things to do with with nutrition and how it has an impact on our life. And I used to be very pretty bro, if you know what I mean. Like I was just mm-hmm. like macros are the only thing that counts calories are the only thing that counts back in 2019 i did something called the uh 
I called it the 30-day ice cream challenge where I actually ate ice cream every day but still lost weight. And I, I, I didn't just eat ice cream. I had the rest of my diet. Mm-hmm. Normal foods, the the healthy smoothies, and you know rice. And, I'm not sure where we're going here, Brock. Kind of but go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> I'm teasing. I, I guess what I'm saying is, so I just had dessert every night. I had ice cream every night, and mm-hmm. I lost weight. It was to prove a point that, you know, uh, moderation can, you know, you can still have something here and there and still lose weight. But now looking back at it, I'm like, well, is that really the best advice to be giving? Because who can really stop at the amounts of ice cream that I was having and then stopping and also is this great advice to say, hey guys, you can have ice cream every day and lose weight. And even though it proves a point that calories and macros matter in terms of body composition and losing weight, what does it do for your long-term longevity and things like cancer risk and things like that. So I kind of, I went from this perspective like only calories matter, but now I'm, and and I think everyone- It's the quality of the calories. Yes. It's the quality. Yes, yeah. I think and you everyone were, in the and you exercise spaces. a lot. So I'd have yeah. to monitor what you were doing at that time with exercise. I mean, we have to remember, and I should say, cancer is primarily a disease of aging, but not completely. Meaning, most cancers occur when we get older. We're starting to see cancer at an earlier age, but it's really a issue of a problem with cell division. Meaning, your cells make a mistake when they divide, and instead of having a normal cell, you have a cancer cell. So the issue is what's causing it to make these errors in cell division. And there's lots of things that do that. But we also think the food that we eat that often results in being overweight impacts immune function, impacts cell division. And that's what's causing us to increase our risk for cancer. Mm. So to jump into the physical activity aspect that you... I mentioned, you know, there's calories in what we consume, but then there's Mm -hmm. the calories out in terms of what we expend. And that's not just, I'm in the gym expending calories on the rowing machine, but it's also how much are we walking? You know, what are we doing Mm -hmm. day to day? Um, Are we working out? What type of workouts are we doing? What intensity are we working out? There's a lot of things to unpack, but um, what can we do with our training to help, I guess, our cancer prevention? Not that that's really... Um, you know, someone's like, I'm working out to prevent cancer, yeah. but you know, why not? If you're already training, have that in the back of your Absolutely. mind to, to kind of guide you where to go. So what can people, I guess, have in the back of their mind while they are putting time mm-hmm. into exercise? Yeah. We don't have a magic pill to prevent cancer, but Brock, if we did exercise would be as close to that magic pill as we have. And there are so many reasons why. So I didn't mean to be flippant. Exercise does play a component of weight loss, but you're never going to, you know, expend as many calories and exercise on a treadmill or something if you're eating a lot of high calorie, unhealthy foods. So part of it is helping to maintain normal weight. So that's important because that reduces inflammation, particularly chronic inflammation. It helps us maintain good blood sugar control, the issue of insulin release. And we think that insulin may ultimately play a role in cancer prevention as well. And, you know, no one ever feels bad after they went to the gym. No one ever says, oh, I wish I didn't work out or I wish I didn't go for a run. What, what do they feel? They feel great. King or queen of the hill. It's the release of these powerful endorphins. It's decreasing the amount of cortisol that we have, which we think also plays a role and chronic inflammation. And then we're also starting to see with exercise that it might actually 
impact what we call epigenetics, the way our cells divide, what we're talking about in terms of cancer. So it's really, as I said, as close to a magic pill as we have, but people have to do it right. And, and that's part of the issue. You have to have exertion. You have to have consistency. You mentioned walking. I like walking, but I'll tell you, if you just walk, you know, an hour every other day and it's this casual walk that you're, you know, you're talking to your spouse, which has value or you're on your phone or something, but you're not putting exertion in, you're not going to reap those health benefits. So what I say to people, and, and you may agree or disagree, you know, exercise smarter, not longer. Instead of walking for an hour, maybe you do power walking or you walk at a certain pace for a minute, then you speed it up for a minute, then you go back down and you have some element of that. That's what I want to see in terms of exercise, that you have some exertion and, and you do it consistently. When I first thought of doing a podcast in 2019, I wrote down everything that I wanted to achieve with the show. And one thing I never wrote down was to spam you with ads of products that I never really used myself. However, I did write down that I wanted to grow it as big as possible and have as many interesting people on the show as I could. To help make that happen, all I ask is that you leave a review on the podcast platform that you're listening to this episode on and share it with someone that you know it will benefit. If you want to support myself even further and more importantly your body transformation and are interested in having me as your coach to help you achieve the results that you just can't seem to achieve on your own, you can visit teambrockashby.com to see what program fits you best. Yeah. I definitely agree with working out smarter as opposed to just longer or even harder because there's a lot of people that will just go to the gym and just thrash themselves mm -hmm. and things that, yes, sure, they are exerting, but when we look at things like building muscle, okay, we could probably do it smarter. I think it really does depend on the individual too because for someone that doesn't do anything, an hour-long walk mm -hmm. every other day is actually a step forward. Yeah. But for someone who's looking to further their, their fitness, then yeah, yeah, we need to start looking at like anything, how can we do it smarter? How can we get a better return on investment? And that exertion is is very important. So even with training, in terms of trying to trying to build muscle, we have to have um, a big enough stimulus to for our muscles to say, "Hey, okay, we need to actually grow, and we need to actually repair stronger to to actually grow." So right. with so with longevity or or cancer prevention sorry it's not the same thing but mm -hmm. is 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 that the same thing does your body need to have that response to say you know i need to i don't know i need my cells to divide in a healthier way i'm not really sure the science behind it what we think is happening here is it's the issue of inflammation it's the issue of really helping to serve as an antioxidant Right. Um, you know, we have these free radicals that our cells put out without getting overly complicated and antioxidants help scoop them up. So to prevent, you know, stroke, prevent a heart attack, you know, prevent cancer. Exercise is very good in doing that. But the challenge is so many people don't know how to exercise properly. They go to the gym. They just look around. They see what someone else is doing. The guys are all huddled around the bench press and the bicep curls. And what I have to say is what I really um, have enjoyed about your posts. And one of the reasons why I was very excited to talk to you is you're really a leader in helping people understand an exercise you're doing right versus an exercise you're doing wrong. Because as you pointed out, we're all limited by time. So if we're in the gym 
or even if we're downstairs or in the garage and we set up gym equipment, we want to do it right. We don't want to hurt ourselves, but we want to get the benefit. And I, I love your videos because they're always great in, in showing you this is how you need to do it right. Um, so th that's an important component as well. People think they're exercising. And you probably have seen this too. And people are talking a lot to their friends. And then they're like, whew, I was here <laughs> 50 minutes. But much of it was talking. And then they're wondering, wait, why, why aren't I having improvement? You know, this isn't working. Uh, so th that's a challenge. Yeah, I have so much to say on that topic. Um, but so I did a podcast uh, a few weeks ago and I had um, Dr. Mike Isertel on. Actually, he's based in the States. And he was talking about this idea that he kind of coined, which is the stimulus to fatigue ratio. And that comes down mm -hmm. to what it's not a mind, you know, like boggling idea, but ultimately it's trying to get the most out of the least and trying to get the most stimulus for what you're going for and the least amount of fatigue. And that's why mm -hmm. I'm so on top of technique because I want people to get the most for the least, which is what you're talking mm -hmm. about, maximizing the time that we have. And that idea helps you to, in terms of training better, then you're hitting the target muscle better. Right. And then you're, you're getting a better response for the amount of time. And you're also accumulating less fatigue, which makes you recover better, which also can help you perform better cognitively at your work or, you know, as a husband or as Absolutely. a wife. And that's kind of why I'm, you know, on top of that. And I create these videos because I want people to get the most out of it because as I've actually become busier as a person, you know, mm -hmm. when I was a young single personal trainer doing whatever I want, you know, time mm -hmm. was just, you know, falling out of my pockets. And now I, I, I feel like I don't even have pockets to find the time. Um, I really have to make the most and squeeze the juice out of every single day. Um, I want to kind of talk about maybe just one or two myths that mm -hmm. are prevalent in the cancer world that I'd want you just to unpack. Um, and, yeah. and one main one for you is, uh, is genetics. That's the, one right. of the biggest thing that I've picked up from you. Is there any others that you want to talk about or yeah. do you want to expand on the genetics one? Yeah, a couple. So there is this myth that most cancer is genetics. Only about, as you pointed out, 15 to 20% is genetics. And what it is, is are these inherited mutations. And we can't test for all these inherited mutations. And there are some kits that are available online, 23andMe, Ancestry, and they only check for a very limited number of these inherited mutations. Uh, and that's useful information to have. But if you test negative, that doesn't mean that you're still not at increased for some of these other variants. The best way to test for genetic history is to ask family members and to find out if someone died of cancer, what age they were, and what type. And if you see it in two or more people, then you may need to talk to a genetic counselor. And I also want to say you can do everything right that we've talked about, and you can still get cancer. That can still happen just by, you know, unfortunate luck. You know, the other issue is in people used to think more so in the past that cancer was contagious, right? So you had to avoid people if they had cancer. But I point that out because there are some cancers, and I talk about it in the book, Take Control of Your Cancer Risk, that are viruses. The HPV virus, which can be involved in several types of cancers, head and neck cancer, cervical cancer, is a sexually transmitted virus, and we need to vaccinate against HPV. It's also for hep B and hep C. If you have either of those, those can increase your risk of cancer. You know, every now and then something will pop up on our feeds about microwaves uh, and cell phones causing cancer. So 
you know, people are, can get obsessed about that where we don't have any data to show that that is the case. And they're not focused on the things that we're talking about today, where we do have much better association. You know, another myth that might be of interest to your audience is the belief that only women get breast cancer. Men can get breast cancer as well. And if they do feel something suspicious, um, they are going to have to be examined. And the other myth that I'd point out, and, and this occurs with a lot of cancers, people assume they'll have symptoms, right? So they'll know when to go, kind of like with a heart attack. I'll have chest pain, so then I'll know to go. Often when you have symptoms such as weight loss that's unexplained, um, your, your cancer often has advanced. So that's why screening is important as well. So uh, what's the recommendations on screening? Is there any general guidelines? I know that there's you know, many it varies. Cancer it varies it, by it specialty vary. uh, group. Um, in the U.S., and it varies a little bit around the world based on resources, but for co and it, it really bases on people at average risk. So if you have a family member who died of cancer or diagnosed with cancer at an early age, then you need to be screened earlier. But for colon cancer, it's typically the different groups say either 45 or 50. For mammograms, it could be 40 or it could be 35, depending upon what group you're listening to. And then for prostate cancer, it's typically around 45 years of age. Now, for pancreatic cancer and, and some other cancers, we don't have screening for those cancers. Lung cancer is primarily based on um, your smoking history and the amount of time that you smoked. And, and really, people need to get screened um, for these cancers if they meet those criteria. Yeah, it's just often... I feel like it's not really a focus or a scare when you're in your 30s and kind of just like living life and you feel a bit invincible. I guess the 30s started to feel a little bit like you're becoming less invincible, but I feel, and this is just my anecdotal experience, but mm -hmm. when people start to do the screening and, and, and all that kind of stuff, I'm not going to say that it's too late, but often it's when their health is already at a place right. where they have reached the place where they need to do those screens because they're in a little bit of a yeah. oh my gosh I think it's you know I've put on too mm -hmm. much weight or I, I haven't been training exactly. and like man I'm stuck how can mm -hmm. we encourage people to think a bit forward and um, you know get behind the idea of prevention is the best intervention yeah. And for most cancers, we don't screen in their 30s because, as I talked about, most cancer is of um, aging. But remember, the other thing I want to point out is skin cancer. Uh, skin cancer still is significant cancer, and, and some are uh, malignant that can result in significant uh, morbidity, including, you know, scars and um, deformations. So that's something to think about as well. You know, Brock, that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book. How do we get people to change their mindset? We're kind of set up in healthcare is it's a sick care system, not a well care system. So we don't really focus on prevention. We don't incentivize doctors to talk about prevention. We don't pay for services that are associated with prevention. So it, it's really this mindset that we have to change with people that, you know, sure, in your 30s, you're not thinking about, oh, like, I want to still be living in my 70s and the 80s, but you also want to be living a quality life. You don't want to be associated with, you know, morbidity and, and mortality and not being able to move. 
what I've been talking to people about lately in terms of exercise is I say, do you want to do cardiac rehab, which as you may know, is primarily, you know, diet and exercise, uh, after you have a heart attack, or would you rather do it now? <laughs> When you have more flexibility, more options, and you can prevent that heart attack to a large degree. But people tend not to, to think that way. I mean, you're very focused on health and wellness and, and know the benefit of it. And, and that's what we need to change people's mindset to. It's about wellness. How do you feel good? How do you, you know, live longer, you know, with, with a quality life and, it can be hard to do with the mixed messaging from media in terms of eating and drinking alcohol, and we just don't focus on it enough. And that's why I'm so glad you're having these conversations about the role of prevention, the role of wellness, uh, the role of feeling good with healthy foods and, and exercise. Yeah, I think as as unfortunate and difficult it was to lose my mum at a young age to mm -hmm. cancer, I also try to see the 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 light at the end of the tunnel in terms of the fact that I do see I've had this perspective of looking at 90 year old Brock looking back and you mm -hmm. know trying to see what his life would look like because once you experience this and and I think a lot of people that have lost someone significant in their mm -hmm. life will have this idea once you s see the loss of life you really understand the true value of life and the gift and the miracle and just the the basic uh when you have every day just waking up because some people do not have that privilege mm -hmm. and to 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 look back from a future 90 year old brock that i don't even know i don't even know if i'll make it to 90 but i pretend that i do and i look back good hope you do I, yeah yeah so do i but looking back from that i think that's just such a powerful concept in all facets of life but especially our health so we need to think, okay, does 90-year-old Brock still walk? Yes, okay. So, so what does 80-year-old, 70-year-old, 60, 50, 40, 30-year-old Brock do to help make sure that that's a goal? And now, mm -hmm. you know, I can have goals of trying to squat this amount and, you know, mm -hmm. um, having legs X big. Not that that's really a goal of mine. But as you get older, these goals will mature. And I think as long as you have that kind of end destination where you reverse engineer your goal from – I think that's a really important thing for people to consider. And that's really hard to sell to a 20-year-old, I know, mm -hmm. because they don't have that perspective. But I think that unfortunate circumstance that I had really helped me to see that. Um, along the lines of lifestyle, because that's kind of a separate thing to just training and food. Like lifestyle could mm -hmm. be stress. It could be relationships. It could be, I don't know, career choice or fulfillment. How does that impact um, cancer prevention or our health in that way because um or even mental health as well like what are the impacts because it feels so broad to me and to be very honest i'm not really sure what the correlations mm -hmm. are between things like um yeah stress and mental health mm -hmm. with cancer yeah you know what, brock i think it's important for listeners to know there's no physical health without mental health there really isn't and there's no mental health without physical health they're on a continuum although in medicine we tend to put them in separate areas. I mean, we even have separate disciplines, but they really are integral. And, you know, we've known it for centuries, the mind-brain connection, but we don't, or the mind-body connection, but we don't do anything about it. And I bring up the example of when you're not feeling well, if you think you have flu, 
you know, what's the first thing that you do? You go to bed. You instinctively know the power of sleep to restore immune function. Now, everyone has stress in their lives. And, you know, some stress is important. You know, when you're in a dangerous situation or you need to get something done, some stress is good. It's the chronic stress, the stress on a daily basis that I see in patients that are impacting their activities of daily living, that are impacting, you know, irritable bowel syndrome. People are coming in with nausea, diarrhea. They're having chest pain at a young age. Stress is that chronic inflammation, which is not good. It's causing an error in cell division. And the example I say that, that stress on our cells is, if I told you, oh, hey, you only need to make, you know, 10 cookies for your child's school event tomorrow, right? But then I say, oh, wait, Brock, I was wrong. It's 100, <laughs> and I need them tomorrow. What would happen? Some wouldn't look so good. Some wouldn't taste so good. You would make some mistakes as you had to get all of them done. And that's what's happening with your cells in cell division under a lot of stress, you're making mistakes and some cells are going to become cancerous. That's the real issue with stress and cancer. And we have seen this time and time again through studies. And you touched on sleep as well. Mm -hmm. How does that impact it? So obviously I think that sleep has been growing in awareness, mm -hmm. how people have absolutely you know being more aware of actually the benefits of it uh, recovery especially from a mm -hmm. sports perspective mm -hmm. um but also like i must be very honest i'm not the best with sleep and i have a big list of things to do per day and as a young parent i'm still trying to balance the and someone that works mm -hmm. for himself i'm you know to be very honest i'm still very much balancing Time management and, yeah. and, and, and and within time management comes sleep management because that sure. does take up a portion of time. And I used to have an unhealthy relationship when I was younger and look at it as a waste of time. Mm -hmm. And I've definitely changed my perspective on that. It's not a waste of time. It's actually a good use of yeah. time. What role and, does it play in terms, mm -hmm. of, in terms of our cancer risk? And, you know, we have these sleep trackers now. I don't know if you have one on either a ring or, or, or a watch. I see you showing your watch. I have a Fitbit on as well. And I do track my sleep. I don't get preoccupied by it. And, you know, I have a whole chapter in the book about sleep. And, you know, Brock, I have to say, I still don't think you have the right <laughs> perspective on sleep because, you know, it is kind of that bravado that's often in medicine and you're talking about in your own life. Oh, I don't need sleep. Uh, I'll sleep enough when I'm dead or, you know, sleep is only, you know, for those people that are, that are weak. I'm fine on four hours sleep. Guess what? You're not on fine on four hours of sleep. It might work one or two time, but you do that on a continuous basis. It is going to add up in terms of the health benefits. And the reason why is that sleep really is the work of multiple hormones that are important in our body. Uh, the main ones are cortisol and melatonin. 
but it's also orexin and some others. So, you know, cortisol is what helps us wake up in the morning and then later at night it goes down, whereas melatonin is really impacted by light and it signals to our brain when it's getting dark that it's time to go to sleep. When you mess up that rhythm, that circadian rhythm that we refer to, that is going to cause problems later on. And we actually have seen, and I talk about it in the book, in shift workers, people that work these unusual hours late at night, an increase in certain type of hormonal cancers, particularly prostate and breast cancer. And some countries of the world have actually compensated shift workers who have gotten cancer because we think it's relating to this you know, messing up of these hormones. And what is frustrating, and I get it, you have a lot to do. Um, and sleep is always the lowest priority. And you think, I'll get to it later in life. And I used to say, what's the one thing that you can start doing today to reduce your cancer risk? It's actually getting more quality sleep. But that's something, Brock, that will catch up to you over time. And it is hard, and it's really hard with a newborn. And, you know, that might be the case for several months. But it's about time management. It's about realizing, you know, what's important. People do need sleep. And you instinctively know it's important to have recovery from heavy lifting days. Why, why is that? Why is that necessary for your, your body to physically recover? Why don't you think it's, I'm being, you know, rhetorical. Why don't you think it's necessary for your brain to recover? It's not, sleep is not putting your computer and sleep mode. It's really about cleaning out your brain, you know, getting rid of these free radicals. There's a lot going on while you sleep. So sleep does play an important role. Yeah. I, um, uh, when I was younger, I did this interview and I actually said those words, uh, you sleep when you're dead. And I just, I just looked back See? and it was just, See? it was, uh, yeah, it was just really, it was really dumb. I've definitely changed my mind. Um, and I've actually been doing Good. my best to, to, to try and improve it. So I've been trying to like tape, tape my mouth because I often, it's, it sounds weird, but often when you, cause I'm a very active sleeper. Okay. So, okay. And I think it's because I'll like lie on my back and I'll probably snore or something like that. Like my wife will say that I was snoring and, and all this kind of stuff. So we looked after things like the darkness, the temperature and, you know, having the bed only to sleep. And, cooler you know, is better. Yeah, cooler, cooler is better. better around 65, 67. Yeah, I think that's uh, around... I, Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit, yeah. <laughs> Celsius. Around, yeah, yeah, around yeah. 18 to 20 degrees Celsius yeah. is kind of, um, you know, where that... Uh, where that range lies, but I don't I know that... about the taping of the mouth. <laughs> so, so I have so been doing nose. that and it makes a big difference mm. because your nose breathing. Okay. So apparently that helps mm. with the oxygen intake. And often when we wake up, um, or like, uh, I, I, th I think I wake up frequently throughout the night, but I don't remember it because I'm like so tired and I'm just like kind of mm. like go back to sleep, but it's not restful. Anyway, I find that I have much more vivid dreams or I even dream because I find I don't dream. I don't dream when I don't do it. And, uh, but yeah, anyway, that's just kind of like some, some You're going to uh, have to send me your some, sleep tracking data and we'll have to <laughs> Oh, it's not good. <laughs> we'll we'll have good. to have a telemedicine visit. It's not it. good. Uh we're still trying to figure that out. Um but uh I'm aware that you uh, have to jump off, but um mm -hmm. thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate Absolutely. it. As I said, this is a topic that's very close to my heart and you know, I wish I heard a conversation like this um mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I was younger. I guess not really so for myself, but more so just to help me kind of come to terms with things because there were so many un mm -hmm. unanswered questions. There wasn't much um, knowledge around 
this type of content because I don't know, maybe it was a bit less attractive, but now it's so, yeah. I guess it's so prevalent in life that we have to be aware of it. And, you know, whether we like it or not, whether we choose to address the concern or not, um, unfortunately, cancer is is going to happen. So it's best to be aware of it and and be as preventative as possible. Like I was saying, prevention is the best intervention. And That's I really right. want to get that that mindset out there and having this conversation really helps that. You know, we always say at WebMD that better information leads to better health. So it is about empowering people with information so that they can, you know, be more engaged with their own care. So thank you for having me, Brock. I, I look forward to future discussions. Thank you so much for coming on, mate. I appreciate your time.